0: Okay, so welcome to this event. Um, I'm Sophie, I'm the CEO of Phoenix Education and we're really pleased to be holding this event tonight to um, acknowledge both World Children's Day, which is the anniversary of the adoption of the Convention of the Rights of the Child, um, which is uh, tomorrow actually, um, and also to mark the launch of School Differently, which is a social movement initiative that's been started by Square Peg and Independent Thinking. And um, we're here to discuss the issue around coercion and consent in schools and in the education system. Um, And there's actually a question in the forum on the New School Differently website that we can carry this conversation on after the event if you'd like to. Um, But I'm really, really excited to have a great panel here this evening to explore this issue together and um, I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves in just a minute, and once they've introduced themselves, we'll then open up to questions that we've already um, listed to explore together. And then we'll be able to take questions from um, you that have come to be here tonight. So can we start just by getting an introduction from everyone that's on the panel, please? And um, Fran, seeing as this event is to mark um, the launch of school differently, perhaps you'd like to go first?
1: yes thank you sophie and thank you for hosting this as well um so my name is fran morgan i run an organization called square peg which exists to effect change for children who face barriers to attendance um most commonly uh the most common terminology is school refusal but we prefer barriers to attendance um i have lived experience as one of those parents um, and Square Peg, as Sophie has said, has started an, uh, a separate initiative called School Differently with Ian Gilbert from Independent Thinking, and that's about uh, is the ed- is the education system fit for purpose really? Trying to bring people into that conversation.
0: Okay, thank you, Fran. And um, could I go now to Simi? Hi. So I'm Simmy. I'm, I'm
2: 16. I'm a 16-year-old student. Um, part of the Changemakers Lab run by um, Phoenix Education, and also one of the founders of Not a Trend, which is a youth based um, campaign to like prevent performative activism and ensure that like anti racist conversations are continual.
0: Thank you, me, Ava. Hi, I'm Ava, I'm also
3: 16, and I'm also part of um. Um, Phoenix's Changemakers, and I'm also one of the co-founders of um, Not A Trend, Um, and I'm really
4: excited to be here today, thank you.
0: Thank you, Ava. Amira?
4: Hi, uh, my name is Amira, and I've attended Summerhill School for about four years now, Um, and before that I was in various different mainstream schools.
0: Thank you, Amira.
4: Timmy?
5: Hi, I'm Timmy. Um, I'm a first-year student at Oxford University and I spent the last year or so working with States of Minds on a project called Breaking the Silence that was mainly to do with educational reform and how the education system has an impact on young people's mental health.
0: Thank you, Timmy. And Jess?
6: Hello, I'm Jess. I went to SANS School, a democratic school in Devon. Um, And then since then, um, obviously after going through teacher training, I've been working in mainstream schools, predominantly on and off for the last seven years, working on projects in schools to do with uh, student voice. And I'm currently teaching at a school in North London.
0: Thank you, Jess. And I think that's everyone, isn't it? and yeah and I'm Sophie so as I said I'm CEO at Phoenix and um, I'm also the co-founder and a co-director at um, an education setting for children aged 5 to 11 that is self-directed and consent-based so I have two hats in this conversation but mainly I'm just going to be asking questions so before we start um, I wanted just to share a couple of definitions for the words coercion and consent um, because I don't know then I don't know how regularly those words are used or whether we already have like a shared definition but just to make sure that we do I thought it'd be helpful. So the definition of coercion is the practice of persuading someone to do something by using force or threats and the definition of consent that we're going to use is an informed and freely made decision to do or not do something and the purpose of this event is to to talk about how coercion and consent exist within schools and in the education system. So the first question that I have for the panel is having heard the definitions of coercion and consent, what are your first thoughts on your experience of them at school? And please raise a hand if you would like to answer that question or I will come to someone and ask them directly maybe i come to Amira because you have got two really contrasting experiences around this and so perhaps you might be interested in sharing first.
4: Yeah um god I don't, I don't even know where to start really um obviously I think there isn't much um consent-based doings in state schools um i was actually considering it um, when I was invited to be on this panel. And I realized that I couldn't think of a single thing that um, that really was consensual that I did during my school day. So I guess that's my experience of it. Um, and then Summerhill, the other side of that coin is the complete opposite, really. I mean, everything you do, you do because you want to do it. And it, it really changes the way everyone um, behaves.
0: Thank you. So me, could I come to you and, and just see whether you have anything you wanted to add to that?
5: Uh, yeah, well, I went to a state school and my experience was kind of similar where there wasn't a lot. I mean, consent wasn't really ever brought up or discussed. And it took leaving school to realise that it's something that should have been. Um, many of the decisions that were made were made for me in school. And in terms of, you know, having a choice or a freely informed choice. I feel like we weren't really informed well enough to make our own decisions. We were only told what to do and not really explained why. So I feel like a lot of state schools probably have a very similar experience to that.
0: Simi, can I come to you now?
2: Yeah, I completely agree. And like, Like Hamira, when I was first told about this and thinking back on um, thinking about uh, coercion and consent in school, I was really like scraping the barrel. I couldn't really think of any examples of anything that was really, truly consensual. I think a lot of what the school uses is like this element of false choice and it's very coercive.
0: Thank you. And Fran?
1: yeah it's really interesting because um i had never really thought about it before probably much like other people but um yeah there, there is everyone said it there's there's not much uh, about it that's consensual and i think because I, I i kind of talk on behalf of the square pegs it's perhaps particularly difficult for them to fit such a rigid system it's quite rigid and inflexible
0: Thank you. Ava, did you have anything you wanted to add from your perspective?
3: Yeah, I think similarly that really I'm trying to think of things which were consent-based. Anything that I did do, there was always like, it was never fully just for like the pleasure of doing it. I was doing it um, because there would be like some reward that would somehow oh be a perfect because that will get you on to this next level and stuff like that. even the options you take, even when I'm picking my A-level options I didn't particularly like English, not my favourite, um, have kind of grown to like it now but um, because of facilitating or because of what I was told I needed to go into university and to it seem more like a, a better candidate I did the subject that I didn't absolutely love so there's always that element of if you do this you will be in a better position so yeah and consent-based I
0: can't think of many things. Thank you, Ava. And Jess, it would be really interesting to hear your perspective as a teacher in school and whether or not, like, how you find
6: this. Uh, So what I found really interesting when I was trying to set up student leadership practices in my last school, where I was actually given that role, was that I was always sort of... um, trying to push to give the students a complete free reigns about what they wanted to talk about in school council. And it was always being penned down to something. So I felt like there was something systematic that was anti-consent, anti-coercion. And even when I felt like I had more power than some of the students that I was working with because of the system, it was still, I felt like I was pushing against that. And I found that quite frustrating.
0: Thank you. And like to continue that conversation on a bit, um, in talking to different people on the panel and the lead into this event, there were some things that came up which are like so basic on this question that I felt it was really important that we touched on them for sure at the beginning. Questions around the school experience and bodily autonomy, access to food, access to the toilet, and also questions around consent and attendance, whether that's attendance into class or attendance to school at all. And I just wanted to ask for people's reflections on their experiences of those things, like to what extent they feel that they have bodily autonomy or that they're, you know, I'm thinking about uniforms, I'm thinking about moving in movement. Um, Yeah, I just would be really interested to hear if anyone has anything they wanted to share, any experiences or stories around those very basic um, needs and rights in regards to this. Fran?
1: Yeah, I think um, attendance is, is obviously a huge issue. And when children struggle to attend, the uh, usual default is is you you just have to get them here and, and they'll be fine when they're here. Um, so forced attendance is a, a massive issue if you have a child who, who has very high anxiety and is struggling to attend. And I think we have to remember that unless a child feels safe and happy, they're not going to be able to learn so bums on seats in schools does not mean that a child is actually learning if they're so distressed uh, in that state um they can't learn so there's some really basic needs about trust and safety and um low levels of stress that 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 we need to get right before children can learn
0: thank you did anyone else have anything they wanted to add over
3: yeah, um, I think surrounding things around uniform and um, even not being it, like go, not being able to go to the toilet in class, I think if you need to go to the toilet during class and they say, oh, you should regulate it, you should have gone on a break. But people say it and it, it always gets like a bit of a laugh because it can be seen as coming a bit of a back chatting way. But saying, well, I didn't need to go. Then. And sometimes you genuinely didn't need to go then. Why am I going to force myself? To go to the toilet is actually something you shouldn't do to force yourself to go to the toilet when you don't really need to because um, it just means you need to go to the toilet more often eventually um, and uniforms I think if we look at like the differences between even though girls can wear trousers they're kind of encouraged especially more so in primary school to wear skirts the limitation of movement um, the restriction and stops them being able to develop and I think properly and I kind of think forcing students in general to be to be wearing tight restrictive clothing to go to school which is uncomfortable and forcing them to keep on we well i didn't have to wear a blazer in school but i know they do now in the younger years they have to wear blazers um and other schools obviously it's quite a big thing i know often you have to keep your blazer on at all times and if you're uncomfortable with it being on it's too hot you feel like you need a coat on that's another thing if you can't keep if you're cold in class there's a massive issue with having um you putting your coat on to warm yourself up um i don't know why i remember my in my other sixth form i went to but i left um um there was a boy in my tutor group and he was like i'm cold i want to have my coat on and the teacher literally said you need to go and get yourself checked out of the doctors because Nobody else here is cold. It's just you. Even though I was sitting there, but it would have been very happy to put my coat on, and because it was absolutely freezing in the classroom. And I think those things, like it's the little things that really do, like make it, that which makes it a lot easier to learn or harder to learn. Because obviously, if you're forced to do something, it does ultimately makes it a lot harder to learn and feel uncomfortable. I'm kind of of the opinion that you should. Be, if you're going to have a uniform you should make sure it's
5: comfortable
3: mm. um, because I think that students should be able to feel comfortable in school so think everybody can learn um, but yeah that's the kind of opinion.
0: Thank you. Simi?
2: Yeah uh-huh. I can com- <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> the confusion is gonna <laughs> mix us up eventually but um, yeah I completely agree. Um, I think schools they say it's like a preparation for the world of work or like life but in like work if you want a cup of tea halfway through the morning or like a snack because you're literally like just one day you're a bit hungrier than you usually are you're allowed to do that and I think restricting um, kids so early on for so much of their life like 18 years of their life Once they do get out into that world, they're suddenly lost and they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. Even with uniform, how how are they supposed to dress? It's just kind of you're delaying the process of them trying to figure out their identity and figure out how they work and the processes that work for them. And it's just delaying the inevitable. And it's like harming you even more uh, because you have to learn all of that while you're also learning other skills that you need as like an adult.
6: Thank
0: you, Simi. Chimmi, did you want to come
5: in? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And like Simi said, it's really ironic how a lot of the ways children are coerced in school or, you know, don't have that sense of consent, isn't reflective of the adult world or how an adult would be treated. So it doesn't really make sense. Like I've had experiences in class where a girl's asked to go to the toilet and the teacher's given her the choice between going to the toilet or receiving a sanction. So it's literally choosing between whether you want to, you know, use the toilet or have a detention, which is just ridiculous. Um, uniform, it is normally girls who are more affected by it as well. But, you know, in, the, in when you're an adult, obviously there's certain standards you have to meet, but people aren't telling you that you can or cannot do this. So a lot of the excuses, I mean, I've often questioned to my teacher, why are these rules in place? Or why do we have to do this? And it's never really an explanation. It's just because it, that's the way it is but even that in itself isn't informed consent because we're you know being told to do things without being given a reason why it affects how people respond to authority when they grow up and I don't really think it's a good way to like model children's expectations of how they obey yeah thank you
0: Amira did you want to share anything on this again like with the contrast of having been in like a more controlled environment and then in an environment which is more um, where you have more freedom?
4: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think with, the, for me, the the biggest hang up in that conversation is with your, your body and the clothing as well, because I think it can really start, um, start really small fights like grudges for me. It definitely did. Like I was never allowed to sit the way I wanted to sit. My, my family all sit on the floor all the time. That's just like the way we eat, the way we hang out. we always on the floor because of our culture. And then I would go into school and they'd like to sit with my knees up by my chest or my legs crossed or something. And I would always get detentions for it and that just like created this anger in me that then that's what I was focusing on during my lessons I wasn't thinking about what they were saying I was thinking about oh well I want to sit like this and if I do this then I know they get angry and then I'd like pick a fight or I wouldn't but I'd still be thinking about it and it's just like it's like a knock-on and there's so many little things like that that mean that in situations where you could just be relaxed and learning you're actually thinking about something completely different social politics you know Um, and then I think in Summerhill, obviously we're allowed to wear, we're allowed to wear what we want. Um, and it's just, it's like one less thing that we have to think about and worry about. And like Simi was saying, you know, it's, um, it's about when you leave and go into the real world, you know, what to wear and how you want to be and, and the people that you get on with and like things like that, that you just don't get to explore. You don't get the freedom to learn yourself and your boundaries and self-regulate and, do all of those things and then you have to learn that when you when you're out in the world and you're supposed to be doing many many other things that are more important
0: thank you Ava sorry
3: I actually just wanted to quickly add something that I just like remembered from experience I was talking to um, one of the teachers at my autistic form um and I was talking kind of back and forth about um I because I personally don't like business dress. I think it's silly and unnecessary in sixth form. I I think half the careers that most people might go into, they like, won't really need to wear a full suit every day to work. Um, I think it's silly anyway. And his response was, well, there will be students who, unlike you, Ava, come from families who won't know to wear business dress. And they won't know how to dress for an interview and stuff like that and i'm like are you i from that like comment i felt like such like it's such a classist comment because for me that was just saying that if you were from a working class background you are too stupid to be able to work out what to wear and you won't understand like it's not you don't have to wear something every day to um, like to be if you're told once right this is what you wear to an interview that's what you wear to an interview i'm sure that they're not going to try and break and bend rules going to a job interview i think it's quite simple how it is and like you don't need to be told every single day to do something and i think it was just such a demeaning comment and it really stuck with me for some reason even though it wasn't technically aimed at me it really it really hit a nerve um obviously i don't think it was meant like that but that was the kind of undertones and conditioning and i think we just think this kind of definitely this coercion is called. I think is a lot of the time more at um, working class, often students from um, black and ethnic minority groups, and also um, women. So basically um, oppressed groups in general. I think the coercion is definitely targeted to them more.
0: So yeah. Thanks, Ava. And Jess, from your position of someone that. In their role, theoretically, is needing to, um, what well, another word is like, administer the rules or uphold the rules and give out sanctions if rules around these types of issues are broken. Like, what is your experience of that, and how do you feel about it?
6: So the way that I've come to cope with having to give out stupid instructions that don't make any sense is I say in my head, "Big schools, stupid rules." And I just remember that someone's made up the rule that's got to be a blanket for everyone. And that's for the rules that I find I don't object to. So I'll just go along with with administering it because teaching's hard enough. If we don't stick together, then it's a complete nightmare. (laughs) But I do find uh, quite often, I sort of bend, bend things as much as I can. Certainly letting kids go to the toilet in the middle of lessons. I don't think I've ever said no to a child. Um, not that I can remember, but I'd, I'm really aware that when I let a to- child leave my classroom to go to the toilet, sometimes I'm worried that they're gonna bump into another teacher on the corridor who's gonna be cross with me or with the child because I've let, the- let them out of the lesson to go to the toilet. And um, yeah, so it's always as always it sort of compromises that I have to try and make to get the balance right. Um, yeah, I hope that's helpful.
0: <laughs> Thank you. It is, and, and it leads us into our next question, which is about uh, the conditions that you need for coercion to exist. So for coercion, you need, there needs to be an element of fear for it to work right that's like how coercion works there's a threat there's a fear behind it that means that someone is compelled to abide by what is what they're being persuaded into doing or what they're being told to do and I was wondering what you think um, it is that people are fearful about at school like what are the threats and how are they communicated to the school community um what is it that is the threat behind the coercion basically is my question and I don't know if anyone wants to jump in straight away, or I can come to you.
5: Jimmy? Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like most schools have a kind of sanctioning system. Um, for me it was merits and demerits. or And it's often used in a kind of a controlling way to like decide how your behaviour should be. Like I know for me, um I used to wear like earrings to school a lot and I would repeatedly be threatened to be like excluded or have inclusion or you know have demerits and I would ask why and they would say well don't ask why or you'll be excluded so the whole sanction system kind of I feel like gets exploited to be used to control the behavior of children and when you don't have that informed consent that's where the kind of you have to question how fair or how right this is and um, I don't know I think as well with parents like telling parents can often be used as threats and some different children may have different home situations or home issues and having like I know some of my friends would be terrified to have anything they've done or not done be told to their parents and they may have an abusive home or they may have an environment that isn't safe and using that as a threat can cause a multitude of other problems that the school might not even be aware of. So I feel like I don't know. It can, it doesn't, it doesn't really take into consideration the welfare of the child themselves. It's only really used as a way to control their behaviour for the for the advantage of the school. Um, yeah.
0: Thank you, Ava.
2: Um, yeah i definitely agree with kind of the the
3: um kind of points and the marking system i kind of think especially in the younger years <laughs> um like um in the younger years it definitely it's like you don't want to you don't you want to make a good impression you want to do well and if you're told by this is going to be on your record your universities will look at that one time you got that demerit for not wearing your earrings, and that's going to jeopardize your whole life. And they put so much on such little things like wearing earrings, as you said, like it's such a tiny thing. Like, your earrings are really not going to affect how much you work, um, work, like how well you work. Um, I can understand it for PE, don't wear lots of hoops in PE, like it makes sense. You don't want to have your piercing rips out because it does happen, but you know round school it's highly likely going to be a massive issue Um, and I think the coercion really does come and what kind of I think when the demerits kind of fade out because I think kind of all notice when you get to about year nine you kind of start caring you're like okay give me a demerit that doesn't matter but um, it's coming from as you said about um, you know phoning home I mean if the school phoned home to me I would be fine like Probably be like school to phone home, Ava, come on <laughs> or something like that. Um, but I know for some students that can be quite threatening and something. You know, I know schools they try their best to be as aware as possible about these things, but things can slip through the net. And a positive experience I guess I had once and I don't know if will remember this, but um we had a really a teacher in year nine and I remember her saying before a parents evening, um she said it in a half joking way, but um as well which was like I know what some parents are like um, and I know that like if you want if you want to like say for me to be a bit more careful around your parents about what I say because it could affect cause and even if it's something like it could just cause a bit of an argument at home or you know a bit of a need but obviously if there was a major issue it kind of opens up that door to be able to feel safer um, at school and with like what you're doing and I think when you feel safe and you don't feel threatened into doing anything, doing anything you, feel be- you feel better learning and then I'd say the one thing that kind of is universal for everyone is just putting so much on how these things now whether it's if you don't do this now you won't be able to do it later and you won't be able to get a job or you won't be able to go to university I think that's the biggest that schools use by you not complying to their rules there's something wrong with you and you won't be able to get along in the adult world, and you will eventually suffer because you won't put to school once or twice. And I think that is the that is the issue. It's them putting so 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 much on something so little. So yeah, and not looking for the roots and not taking the time to listen. So yeah, thank you.
0: Thank you, Fran. It makes me want to come to you to hear also like. Um, I think there is can be a real tension in the student school parent like dynamic yeah. in lots of different ways and did you have anything you want to say about how parents can experience fear and threat from yeah. the yeah. relationship with school
1: I mean nobody should live in fear children shouldn't be living in fear and uh, the problem with attendance which is the issue that I know most about is that it's it's punitive you know and and so not only will your child be anxious but parents will be very afraid because they'll be threatened with fines with prosecution with social services referrals um and it it you know some schools do it brilliantly so it can be done but it's almost despite the system it's almost in spite of the system um and it's about relationship it's about trust um it's about making things child-centered and understanding what's going on, but no child should be in school and afraid, afraid of sanctions, afraid if they can't attend. It just shouldn't. It just is not right. Um, and and making parents afraid is only going to increase parental anxiety, which is going to increase a child's anxiety. So these sort of punitive approaches and rules, for the sake of rules, you know, there are some situations where rules are necessary. And if people understand that, then that's fine. That's fine. But there are lots of reasonable adjustments that aren't done because it's easier if everyone uh, does the same. The sausage factory, everyone comes, they sit down, they do this, they don't go to the Lewin lessons. It makes life easier when things are so pressured now in the system. Time is so limited, informal time is so limited. Um, Yeah.
0: Thank you. And um, Jess, I wanted to to um ask you something here because i think that in terms of like what people where the lines are around what is safe behavior what is okay and what becomes like risky behavior what like is come you know ha- takes you into a place where you might be punished or that one of these threats is kind of like triggered in a way i think that where those lines are can be really different based on the environment right and what i'm thinking about is how in the setting that I run, there's so much, the children have so much autonomy in the space that they can paint their faces how they want to, they can move through the environment how they want to, they can get themselves a snack freely, they can use the toilets at any point of the day, they can spontaneously create activities for themselves. They can, you know, there's there's so much movement um, that doesn't exist in the same way within a traditional school. And so what's perceived as even pushing a little bit into freedom in school is still quite far away from some other education settings where they have more. You know, like you don't actually have to dyeing dyeing your hair from one colour to another can be like pushing at the edges of these things in a school environment. Whereas in an environment like the one that I run, that wouldn't even be noticed or an issue in any way. So I just wondered if you had anything to reflect on in terms of where you see those lines like, where people perceive the okay behaviour against the
6: dangerous behaviour? It's so interesting that you brought up the hair colour thing. So this morning I had to open uh, all the PowerPoints for my form from the students that want to be our head of year rep. So in front of my form, I went through each PowerPoint for these three students and there was sort of mixed levels of engagement and... um, They were being respectful and listening to like their peers talking about what they were interested in, but they were clearly not that excited. And then on the last slide of the last PowerPoint was this person's uh, proposals. And at the top, it said people will be allowed to dye their hair whatever color they want, because that's a big thing in the school that you're not allowed unnatural hair colors, not even allowed to change it to something new. Um, And the whole form gasped. (laughs) Because they couldn't believe that someone was proposing something so scandalous as being allowed to change your hair colour. Um, so I thought, yeah, that was interesting. And I definitely think there is something in that about they, they've gone so far away from um, rules that have some sort of sense to a place where there's rules that just have no real reason. That, for instance, last week when... Um, They were it was the 11th of the 11th so Remembrance Day, and they were talking over the assembly video about um, Anne Frank. And I, I think, quite rightly said, you're being really disrespectful. This is a moment when you need to be actually listening. And they were really shocked that I'd said that that was unacceptable when normally I'm quite happy for them to talk and do whatever they want. And it was, they couldn't see the distinction between that point, which I think most people would agree is a time to reflect, be quiet, listen, be respectful, and other times when it's much more relaxed. Um, and that was blurred because they're not used to making that decision and that distinction for themselves.
0: Thank you, Jess. Is there anything anyone else wants to say on this question before we move on? Simi?
2: Yeah I just like adding on from Jess's point I just think I completely agree that you start to because you're told that these rules are all or nothing you 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 follow them all the time or if you don't follow them once then like that's it your record is forever scratched your reputation you'll be known as the bad kid which is just like a fear thing in itself but you don't know that rules can be flexible to some extent and that knowing when Um, because you're told to behave in a certain way all of the time you don't know how to sort of like switch your behavior or act differently in appropriate settings and this whole element of fear of just failure in general or failing to act in the right way or failing exams and then it's suddenly you fail in one thing and then it's like you failed in life so it's just it's leading students to think you have to be perfect in everything, you have to follow everything to the letter and that's the only formula for success, that's the only road you'll get to in life and be successful as a person and it's just that's not the way things actually work.
0: Yeah and and, you know oftentimes people talk about how one of the most important things in the teacher-student circumstance is relationship, like people often cite relationship as being really important and like listening to this it just makes me think about like what is this relationship like if this is normal what does that mean for people's understanding of what it is to be in relationship and what you need to do to be in relationship like how do you do relationship well is it just like behaving in this way like it's really difficult isn't it Ava
3: yeah I just wanted to add on to saying around like we're actually not doing we're doing a disservice to like I think students and Um, by having these all or nothing rules because I think we're not one thing we're doing is we're not teaching students how to be able to choose and how to be able to actually in themselves like work out when is it the right time to you know have your full attention like in the example of the assembly with Anne Frank like that is something that you should have your full attention for because it is a really serious topic Um, uh, and then by you know in kind of in like contrast to maybe just like being silent in like I don't know something that's less important and you're not we're not teaching students how to be able to do that and that is more of an important skill for the real world than being able to just follow rules because you're not going to always you're not going to be sitting say if you go into a you're going to a meeting sometimes that meeting will be incredibly important and you will know that meeting is very important and you can see that meeting is important compared to you know going out for your friends and you can see with what where you need to have your full attention and rather than maybe a friend's story about what they did at that weekend and we're not teaching students they have to be told to do that and for some students they will never fully transition from being told and not being able to make like they're not able actually i think we're just not enabling students to be able to make decisions on their own um and that is kind of right up to the age of like 18 which is really quite disturbing to be you're being told how to do everything and if you don't do this there will be a consequence and obviously there are consequences for things in life i mean you can go to jail like we're not gonna there's certain things that you absolutely should not do but i think boundaries become kind of blurred when there's kind of rules for silly things you don't see the importance in the things which actually are important you won't see the difference between you know having your hair dyed and um like shoving another student i mean in school like you won't see the the kind of difference because quite frankly the sanctions end up becoming seem to become closer and closer and then they're kind of put on the same level and really and truly having your hair dyed is not (laughs) on the same level as causing harm another student. I mean, it's quite an extreme example, but you are with taking away the kind of the decision-making process in students. And that is from a young age up until, like I said, 18. And I I think it's probably got some kind of cognitive effects going on there because we're not allowing people to develop properly at a natural rate. Thank you,
0: Ava. And I wanted to ask a question about how this affects different people in the school community. And Ava, you mentioned earlier on about that, that like d- based on certain characteristics, people experience like this more or like a, the harder end of the coercive stick, so to speak. Um, and I thought it would be interesting to just hear a bit more about that. Like who is it in the system that is most adversely affected by this coercive environment
5: to me? Well, I feel like there's a lot of different ends to it and a lot of different ways that it can have a negative impact because you might have a character who's a bit more, I don't know, vulnerable to being coerced and, you know, if they're repeatedly coerced in school and they're used to having to obey without questioning throughout their whole life, they may become someone who's easily taken advantage of or who can't stand up to their boss or doesn't know how to speak up in a meeting and can have negative effects for the rest of their life. On the flip end... You could have someone a bit like me, where in school I was getting in trouble a lot for little things. I kind of developed a rebellious attitude to school, and I know students can. So, you know, if you're getting in trouble for having colored hair or having piercings, you may kind of have this, I don't know, problem with authority and keep rebelling and become even more, you know, it could grow and become not just rebelling against having piercings, but fighting and, you know, So depending on the character, I feel like they have a one size fits all approach to like sanctioning students and to how students should be treated. But forget how much individuality there there is in children and how different children are. And it just won't work with every single person. It might work with a few, but everyone's so different. Fran, did you want to speak about
0: that?
1: Yeah, I was just going to say. I mean, the the I guess the most obvious group that this affects is kids with with special educational needs, who who, who you know can't can't fit a rigid system. It just doesn't work. Um, and and if you look at the figures for absence and exclusion, it's all I call them the usual suspects. It's kids with SEND on SEND support. It's kids on free school meals. It's ethnic minorities. It's always the same the same children. Um, and I, yeah. It, they need they need every child needs something different and things need to be child centered not not this kind of blanket uh, rules for the sake of rules we keep coming back to that but it's but it's so true you know nobody minds a rule when they understand why we know why we can't you can't go out and beat someone up but you know when there are rules that seem to have no sense and are just for convenience it's very difficult
0: Thank you. And Amiri, you mentioned before about how, like, you experienced a punitive, a punitive response to what you described as, like, essentially like a cultural difference. And I wondered if you wanted to maybe expand a little on that, like how, how people from different cultural backgrounds might be adversely affected in a, in a really, what well, in the English education system.
4: Gosh, <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah. Um... I'm not really sure. I had something to say about um, something else you were talking about though with, I mean, back again to kind of uh, your freedom to do you, like freedom of movement and the way you look and what you dress as and um, painting your face and things like that. I just think that's such a, um, I don't know, it's so important. Like I watch Kids in Summerhill every day kind of in the bathroom with scissors, cutting chunks of their hair off and their house house parents, like the people who look after them and live with them kind of silently suffering, but they never say anything. And I think I get, you, you see it, like they cut their hair crazy or they dye their hair or they dye their skin or like something strange and they love it for like five minutes and then they hate it and then they don't do it again and they do something else crazy. And it's like, they're doing that up until they're maybe 15 and then they kind of like level out a bit and kind of choose their style and become whatever it is they want to become sometimes that's still really crazy but it's them you know they've they've gone that way and they've gone that way and they've gone forwards and backwards and up and down now they've discovered what's right for them and what's not and no one along that way has said actually you can't do that actually this one seems a bit better a bit more acceptable maybe you should go that way like no one's interfered in that way so by the time they leave, they are truly authentic in themselves, which I think is incredible. <laughs> Ava?
3: Yeah, just tapping in more to about like um, characteristics, I think Rand said that the usual suspects, I, I like that phrase, <laughs> that's a really good one to use. Um, and I think we all know that um, um, Black and ethnic minority students, SEM students, are constantly targeted. Um, I've had friends who I can't lie, um, is one of the the sweetest people I've ever known. And she said to me, when I have a supply teacher, I feel like I have to be on my best behavior. Even though she's like never done anything wrong in school in her life, like she follows the rules and was like, She's a prefect and everything. So um but um she feels that she has to be on her best behaviour because obviously the spy teachers that know her or when she's got a new teacher because she is from an ethnic minority background and that is she feels that she'll be judged as soon as she they she walks into the classroom and uh, um that she'll be seen as a troublemaker and that like never crosses the mind of i mean <laughs> probably doesn't cross the mind of maybe a student that's from a white like, middle class background like it's probably not such an issue they're not stereotyped in the same way and um I and mean, maybe they do but um
4: you know you'd want to be you could
3: get an impression on the teacher that you don't know but i think it, more so you are stereotyped for that um even little things like hair has come up quite a lot um the natural hair colors um i had a friend she had got braids um and she got braided in black and she had naturally kind of a dark brown hair color you know um and it was a massive contrast she because um, of that. that her she had blonde like hair her hair, because it wasn't dyed but yeah blonde hair like braided into her hair and she and she was penalized for it and she thought that hair would be fine because she thought well it's a natural hair color people naturally grow with blonde hair out of their heads um she just interpreted the rules differently and then it meant that she had to um work a really long time trying to get, I like had to go and make an appointment. Obviously she's not going to get braids up the next day, you know, it's going to take a while. Um, to get like a lot of hair out. And, um, and she was like in like kind of an isolation state for about two weeks because um, of her hair. Um, and it's little things like that. There was also kind of more kind of, always seemed to be more of a um, leeway for, white girls, girls' school, so only girls in my school, um, but there was always, you would see, they would have dyed their hair, especially blonde ones, because you can dye hair more easily, like a faint pink, and they would be allowed with their, to like dye their hair, even though technically it's against the rules, the teachers wouldn't pick up on it. They wouldn't, you know, there would be people coming in with pink hair, a baby pink color and pastel blues, but um, they didn't seem to pick up on it. And then there was my friend who had, Braided, like with blonde hair and she was in <laughs> in isolation for two weeks. So I mean it really doesn't seem to add up and I think that the like kind of penalization of students from black and ethnic minority backgrounds is kind of absolutely disgusting quite frankly. Also I've I i have not I always went to a girls school, but I even think from my experience even being in a girls school, you know things surrounding uniform I think the whole thing your skirt should be this length and this and that and you know you can't wear this this collar wasn't right that was the big one you had to have a specific collar <laughs> and if you didn't have that collar um you were that was a massive issue at the school um um and I think it sexualizes girls from a really young age if you're telling them like oh this is you shouldn't you can't wear that. Oh, that is that's not how you dress, your skirt You dress, it's you're sexualizing children, quite frankly, like that's what, that's what it is. And, you know, um, if a student has decided to wear their skirt at that length, I personally feel comfortable with different skirts to maybe a different student would, And that is how they like to, you know, express themselves and like they feel they look best, allow them to, why are you telling them that that is wrong? Like, you know, you don't even like have the issue that schools love to present that it's distracting um the your male students that was a girls' school and I've also heard so many stories of the in from here in the states um around the world of girls being told that they they can't have their especially if they um if especially in schools where they like, it was more dress coded so with the older girls hair and in the states and stuff where you can always kind of wear whether you want, just not being, like dress code Um they were told that you're distracting the male teachers and I think that is that's when we've really got to have a look at ourselves and being like if an underage girl is being told off for what they are wearing because they are distracting an adult teacher then something really has to be questioned about what we're doing and why we are putting these rules in place because I mean should we really look at who you're hiring? So <laughs> yeah I think it really affects kind of oppressed systemat- um, historically and systematically oppressed groups more so than it does.
4: I mean not <laughs> screen, so yeah.
0: yeah I think that these I'll come to you Simi in just a second I just wanted to share that um i think that the, these the rules and the way that the rules are administered can lead to really what would other like in another context be considered totally inappropriate actions from adults also in schools so for example i'm thinking about with um, um, in terms of like ensuring a skirt length for example I've heard that there have been situations in school where for example all the girls would be lined up and a teacher will go down the line and look at the length of skirt on the girls and use something to measure the skirt length to determine whether or not the skirt is long enough or not which is like from my perspective just so deeply inappropriate and unacceptable thing to put a student through or for a a teacher to do but Within that context, it becomes like normal and okay when actually it, when you really think about it, like it just really isn't okay, I don't think. Um, and perhaps, like, instead of you know, yeah, I mean, if you had a more consent based culture in the school, then you wouldn't be worried about how long someone's skirt was because you would know that they could say no and the person would respect that they had said no, you know. Simi, did you want to share?
2: Yeah, I think it's just as well as what everyone else has said about, um. uh, these this sort of coercive and like non-consensual nature of school affecting targeted and oppressed groups I think as well as that even like as well as looking at that whether you follow the rules or you don't follow the rules also really massively affects you so the people who resist these rules and these um, like ideals of school are targeted even more which is just further driving them away from not just the edge like um, institutions in society but also just learning which is you know schools are there to like generate this like culture of like loving learning but when you're going into school and you're getting attacked the minute you step through the gate for this that and the other you're just it's like you're starting to attribute that to oh I don't even want to just learn for the sake of learning anymore and even if you do follow those rules then it's oh, you must follow the rules for an exam, not just because you enjoy learning. And it's kind of, I was seeing in the chat about this sort of um, going into the uh, world, like not speaking up for yourself or um, like going against authority and challenging it and things like that. So even if it's like, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So when, when you follow the rules, that's kind of setting you up for not being very successful not like fulfilling your full potential. And if you don't, then it's kind of targeting you and driving you away from something that does have beneficial points or is supposed to.
5: Fran?
1: Yeah, I noticed that somebody put in the chat a bit earlier about people pleasing and how toxic that can be. And actually, it reminds me of my daughter because she masked at school. She was so afraid of having a light shone on her or breaking a rule or drawing attention to herself that she was the model pupil but what it meant was that she didn't speak out that she was struggling and that's and masking is a is a huge problem because those children go unnoticed quite often um, uh, because they're no trouble <laughs> um, and i think yeah if if she hadn't been so worried about fitting in and not breaking rules and being a model pupil then Maybe she would have spoken up a bit earlier that she was struggling. Uh, and it's a, it's a different form. We've talked a lot about, um, about the rules, but I think that that issue of people pleasing and masking and wanting to do the right thing and be liked and, and not get into trouble is, is really important.
0: Yeah, I think if, you know if that's how where people end up feeling uh, that they cannot be confrontational, they cannot speak up if something's wrong then the impact of that on wider society is pretty tragic, isn't it? Especially when we know that there are massive problems in our society that really need for people to feel courage around and to be able to speak up. I mean, we need that so badly. um, And it would be great if the education system fostered that courage rather than put fear into people. Um, is there anything else I wanted to say on that before I move on? I w- I'd really like to steer this conversation now into like a bit of blue sky thinking about you know if things could be different, and maybe to share some examples around different practice or different environments. Like Amira, hopefully you can speak about some of the stuff that happens at hill, like what is possible, um, and and yeah, and just to hear from the panel about you know if there was one thing you could change tomorrow, like one small thing even that was going to make the school environment more consensual and less coercive like what that might be um so yeah we've we've talked about the problem a lot and like it would be a shame not to spend some time in that beautiful space of imagining um so is there anything that anyone wanted to share about that that like straight away comes to mind about something that that they believe can be different that is different elsewhere or that they would like to be different in their school Jess
6: um The school I'm working at at the moment is the first school that I've been at apart from the one I attended where they don't set viability and I have noticed that when children are not so afraid about moving up and down sets depending on how well they do on tests they're much more open about what they understand and don't understand and um, I've just think it's absolutely brilliant and I'm really enjoying that side of being in a school where the kids are more open about their um, ability because they're not scared that that might mean that they end up going into a different class that they have to get used to where the workload might be too easy or too hard for them it's just all even and it's great. (laughs) Thanks Jess. Ava? Honestly, for me,
3: I think a great start would be to get rid of silly rules um, giving students the opportunity to like just address themselves better, making sure students are comfortable in school. And honestly, this is like not such an need fit, but just the, just the listening aspect. If a ch- child is late, you ask why. They don't want to come in. That conversation just look forward, why does that student not want to come into school? What, what are they not feeling comfortable about? Are they, you know, taking a mental health day? I think that's something that people don't like talk about enough. Sometimes you just need a day, you know, where, especially in like, like when you don't have freeze and stuff, like just you need that like five, doing a full day, five days a week, I laugh and I'm like, I have no idea how I used to do that. Like, I have no idea how I lived without three periods but it's so that is, it's like that is your line, you go home, you do school and you, then you're at the weekend, you have your weekend but you're still worrying about school because you've gone out with your mates but then maybe you've got a bit of homework that you need to do, you've worried because it's due for Monday and you just want to have a good time with your friends and but that's always in your mind so just giving students that kind of time to take a break and have a breather and really listening to students with making school a less of an authoritarian environment. Quite a big ask for a tomorrow kind of thing. But yeah, just um, just taking away the kind of what the authority that authoritarian kind of brain should schools can be sometimes.
0: Thanks, Ava. Fran?
1: Um I think I'm right in saying that there is a growing body of evidence that trauma informed schools have lower absence and lower inclusion and and it absolutely makes sense doesn't it because it's about trust and relationship and compassion Um, and i think that has to run through the school from senior leadership down like like through a stick of rock um because it takes everybody in the school to to have that ethos and culture um i think um we would it would be so great to bring back some of the art subjects some of the expressive creative you know music and all those things a lot of those have got lost along the way in this very overly academic curriculum. And I think what what we would want to see in terms of the children and families that I work with is, is just more flexibility, you know, blended learning. We've we've shown in a pandemic that it's possible, it could be a lot better, um, but, you know, and that would suit so many children and it would perhaps allow some children to do a couple of days in school, a couple of days downtime at home. Um, and the, the other thing I would say is that um, there's a lot of doing to, and if you do with, you get much better results, and that includes parents as well as children, so collaborate, build relationships at the beginning. Um, I think with secondary schools, there's a lot more that could be done at, at the beginning with all parents to build a relationship, and then if there's problems later down the line, you've got much more chance of, of doing it. The, la- the last thing I'd say is that if you did a comparison of what happens in the adult world in work with children in schools, You know, we say now very often it's okay not to be okay. We expect employers to be empathetic if you've got mental health problems and issues and give you time and space. You compare that with children in schools and there's no flexibility. You know, you might be on a wait list for mental health support for 18 months. You've still got to go to school. You've still got to carry on your your normal everyday existence or you're punished. And it's um, yeah, we need to change some things but there are some schools who do it brilliantly despite the system so it can be done yeah
0: amira you're muted <laughs> one second okay
4: there we go all right um, you're good um i think with the changing question i think i would well i mean it's not doable really but i'd like to see less children in schools, like um, smaller schools, smaller classes even, which would then require more staff of course. Um, but I think another thing would be student councils. I've never been in a school with a student council. Um, I know some schools have them, but I've heard they're not great, of course. Um, so <laughs> seeing your guys' reactions. Um, and yeah, I think to like actually empower a group of students, maybe a changing group of students to speak their minds to staff and to the head teacher or whoever's in charge, and also to educate teachers on age biases, the, the biases that they have that they don't even see that they don't recognize, because they're told to take advantage of their power over children, constantly to control the environment. Um, so I think to just teach them about that and, and help them to see the way that they could be affecting the people that they're trying to teach. Um, just, uh, trying to like segue that onto Summerhill a little bit. Um, I think well, we're, we're supposedly completely equal here. I feel that we are equal staff and, and children. Um, we are five to 18 years old. So there's also a big age gap between uh, pupils and um, everything is decided through our meeting which just it means that everyone kind of governs each other we all take responsibility for each other there's never a teacher kind of saying well you shouldn't be doing that I mean they do but as part of the community not as a teacher or a staff member an adult and you know I personally have been told off by five-year-olds many a time because I've been breaking a law that I've forgotten about or that I thought no one was looking and then they'll bring me up to the meeting and everyone can tell me what they think about it Um, but for me personally on my journey I think someone was talking about um, the like ranking in schools and like you are in a different set because you're smarter or less smart or whatever and for me that had a strange effect on me because I was always in top set and I was always quite close with the teachers and after I left and came to Summerhill I realized that the way that had affected me was that I was terrified to be um, not as good as everyone else. I was so so scared and I still carry that with me now and I'm still uh, working through those problems but um, being close to the teachers meant that I could tell them that and explain that to them and I had like really traumatic experiences in maths classes and I talked to my maths teacher about it and she was aware of it and I was in a Single individual class with just her because our school is so small, and she really guided me through it. And just like having that ability to feel not only be able to tell your teacher how you're feeling and what you're going through, but to actually feel like you want to, that they're there for you, and that's what they want to do. And you feel comfortable with them, you know. Which I mean, even if um, you could do that in state schools, I, I would never have felt like I wanted to, I would never have felt understood.
0: them.
5: Yeah. Thank you, Naira. Jimmy? Yeah, I agree with basically everyone, everything everyone has said. Um, For me, I feel like the most important vehicle for, you know, changing the way the system is now is encouraging individuality. And I think such an important part of that is making it a two way thing between teachers and students. Because I'm sure a lot of teachers also have an issue with the way things are run and may not have the space to, you know, say anything about it because they want to keep their jobs and, you know, they're just trying to do their best. It's not easy to be a teacher. And, like, having things like school councils where students' opinions actually hold weight, having student feedback, that actually is taken into consideration on an equal level with, you know, teachers' feedback because at the end of the day, majority of decisions that are being made about students are not by students or the way we look at schools the majority of the way we I don't know how we describe what's happening is not there's no input from actual students into that so how can you really change the school without asking the people who are actually going to school and I feel like just changing the way or just opening a route different routes of how a student goes through school because not all students are the same and emphasizing that you know we've got uniform where everyone's dressed in business wear but not everyone's going to be a businessman or businesswoman uh, we have you know certain subjects that are mandatory or are, you know really encouraged more than others not everyone is going to want to do that subject so just emphasizing how different people are because at the end of the day when you leave school that becomes one of your biggest strengths how individual you are and you know when you're applying for jobs, that is what is gonna make you stand out from other people. So I just think like that's the most important thing and everything will kinda from that start fixing itself.
0: Thank you. I really couldn't agree more. And I think that what you say is right, like in the teacher experience, this is also a problem. And I know that there is activism and movement, for example, around teachers feeling that they can be out at school if they're gay. And that like lots of people don't feel that, they don't feel safe enough in their school to be out as a staff member. And if a teacher doesn't, then what does that mean for the students? Do the students feel safe to be out? You know, like to what extent can people be themselves in school? It's a really important question, isn't it? That ties so much into into this issue. Jess did and Simi, is there anything that you wanted to add? Simi?
2: Yeah, I just... I just resonate so much with all of those points, it was just like hearing my mind being spoken loud and I think what Amira was saying about like being high achieving and then also that fear of just slipping just once, like I I think that just comes with uh, so much pressure in schools of ranking people, so I think if say I think your question idea was change one thing tomorrow, like get rid of Ofsted or get get rid of like league tables and rankings and just reduce that pressure, because it's just it's pressures from the government on schools which was putting pressures on teachers and then on students as well, and it's just like this like top down approach that is just no one's really winning. The only thing that's winning is just what so you can say at the end of the year, oh. Um, the amount of A stars have gone up by 2%. Yeah, well done to those students, but at, at the cost of what? So I think just getting rid of all of that. And then also, um, like some of the others have been saying, just ask our students what's, what's wrong and listen and have that honest communication. Cause I think teachers are scared of, like Tim um, was saying, staying the truth because they want to keep their job. So just have a, like a brutally honest conversation with your student and with staff and be open to the fact that students aren't stupid, that we can understand when your hands are tied or just explain that to us like, oh, like there's nothing we can do. I'm really sorry. I disagree with it too. That just, even just knowing that, like it creates that better relationship between teachers and students, because you know that it's a collective fight that everyone's unhappy with it. And then you can work together to create a solution.
0: That's awesome, Jess. Did you want to add anything on that note? I feel like it's an invitation to the teachers.
6: Yeah, <laughs> I've uh, I've definitely been taking lots of mental notes today. It's really useful because everything people are saying are things that I want to have actualized. But I feel like you're giving me little tips about how I can enact that in my school. So that's really nice. And I also wanted to add that um, I've just recently a few days ago seen how great it is when young people are um, given the choice about what they want to do because i was leaving school and there's a dance club after school and because of covid the kids aren't allowed into the school building after school So there was a dance troupe who were practicing in the school car park under a lamp in the dark because they were so passionate about what they wanted to do that even though they weren't allowed inside the school building and it was freezing, they still loved it and wanted to be there. And I just think that's such a perfect example of how powerful it is when you're self-motivating and you're doing something because you fully consent to it and that's where you want to be.
0: Thanks so much Jess. So we've got 15 minutes before the end, which I know isn't much to hear from everyone that's come tonight. And thank you for coming to hear this conversation and to be with us. Um, Abby, did you want to flag maybe one or two questions? You could put your camera on and then we can take something from the, from the chat.
2: Yeah, for sure. And um, there's been a really, thank you everyone. There's been a really lively conversation going on in the chat all the way through the, the, the discussion. Um oof. <laughs> so uh there's a whole bunch of different uh questions um i think i'll start with uh so so one of the things that i think was really interesting from christian was asking whether reforming such a repressive system from within schools is in, in any way realistic uh, and there was a bit of chat in the um the uh chat about um kind of options for doing that both from within and from without the system and what the different strategies are but I'd love to hear more from that from the the panel so I'm, I'm being selfish by putting that out there and asking that okay it's a really
0: great question so can things be changed from within the system do we need to create alternatives outside of the system maybe both let's see what everyone has to say Fran
1: um, I think for us or for me certainly that's the million dollar question with school differently, because we have this brick wall, uh, and we've either got to go round it or we've got to pull it down brick by brick. And I think what what I'm seeing is some fantastic projects starting from the ground up, um, some brilliant new schools um, doing things differently, and it and it is despite the system. And I guess it's it's often more work for them. Um, and the other thing that I think will make it a huge difference, I was so inspired to see the kids speaking out about the exams fiasco, about the university fiasco, and, and all you wonderful, articulate young people. And it's you, it's you that could change this because you are the next generation of voters and that's what makes a difference. And so I think if we can find ways to empower young people like yourselves, then that's, that's gonna be one way to change it. Uh, there seems to be a massive groundswell that we're seeing amongst parents, young people, educators, academics, for change. It's just about how we affect that, how we create some really tangible effects. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk, but we need to, we need to change things somehow tangibly. Ava.
0: Um, so, kind of, I'm incorrect to
3: correct the question, kind of about um, whether we need to create schools outside of the main system or whatever we can okay so i'm a really big believer in um one of my like strong things is i kind of anything that is kind of probably slightly controversial but i kind of have a thing that if anything kind of when you go take students outside and do alternative education and whether that is coming from things like um things from private schools down to like homeschooling you're taking students out and then there's always going to be students left in the system who don't have the um kind of the family support to be able to take them out the system where they may need it and they don't have the kind of the understanding and all the financial needs and I think once you that once you take students out of the system um those the people's voices are then taking out because they're making their own little kind of club on their own and i mean i can i know because i can see as a parent as a student we're in a society where it's a lot of the time about what's best for us and our families and i completely understand that especially i would like i've been through like very normal school like from from like nursery through to reception and i can see like i didn't, I didn't have a massive issue from school but I like with my kind of like easy kind of load through it i managed to conform and I can see it can be different difficult for different people but I did pick up on and there were things that that kind of led me to being in these conversations today that saw kind of massive problems and I do kind of think you know once you kind of you take you know if a school is ever kind of you're paying for your child to go to a, even if it's a private democratic school, um, you're you're taking the money out of like the system. We don't pay for our schools, but by your voices not being there, you know, you're creating diversions when you start to choose where sh- your children go. It's like in Norway, I think, that you can't you their the education system. You can't choose, your, you go to your local school and that's it. Um, so my kind of view is that I would love to see, if not realistically, uh, a massive system overhaul. But we need the voices from the parents and the students who have had the lucky enough opportunity to be taken out, they have to stay in, and whether it is actually breaking through into your the local school that you went to. And even though you may not go there yourself or your children may not go, your children may not may not go there themselves. Remember, there are gonna be students who are still there, who probably shouldn't be there and who should be in a democratic loving environment But they don't have that, will never have that opportunity to be. And it's making sure that we do it for those students more than anyone else, I think. And I think that's the most important thing to keep. So yeah, just getting a, I would love to see like a, we need to get the overhaul, but we need everybody's voices and we can't, we need solidarity and we can't break off into little cliques and groups because then it starts to become like private education. then you see the issues. So yeah, Um, I don't like classroom and separation,
4: so yeah. Thank you so
0: much, Ava. Thank you. Did anyone want to
5: to contribute also to me? Um, Yeah, I just think there's a lot of momentum right now. Um, I mean, I was the year group of year 13s who just left and had our exam results like very messed up and it was stressful. I watched a lot of mental breakdowns and uh, it led to a protest which led to actual change. And I feel like students, unfortunately, kind of need to lead this change. But the problem is students not feeling like they have the power to lead this change. So I feel like we need collaborations between students parents and teachers because when we did the breaking the silence project most of what we did was asking a lot of people a lot of students their opinions we got a lot of student feedback and all the opinions were pretty consistent people wanted change people felt like things weren't right but people didn't know how to go about that change because when you're a student your most of your energy is going into passing your exams which is hard enough because of all the issues we've discussed but I feel like from within the student, the, the system can be changed, but it needs students to be given more, I don't know, kind of a bit more authority and a bit more respect with our opinions, because we do often get this stigma stigma of being like a cry ba- crybaby generation and, you know, things, you know, just suck it up. It's not that bad. It's not that deep. But we're also going through a mental health crisis, so it, it has to be that bad. So I think it's just getting students' voices out in a way that, they are being respected and listened to and also holding accountable places like Ofsted like the education ministry everything and really holding these places accountable by showing the extent of how it's affecting students because it is quite serious and it shouldn't be kind of like trivialized how students are suffering.
0: Thank you. Did anyone else want to respond to the inside the system, outside the system, solidarity question? Simi?
2: Yeah, I think adding on to what Timmy said um, about students not feeling that they can't are able to ask for the change, I think just something as simple as telling not just students, but parents and teachers, especially like um, April was saying, the people who are still in that system who may feel like disempowered, that it's okay to feel unsatisfied with the system, because I think... A lot of what society is telling us you have to be okay with what's going what the norm is and not feeling okay with that is like rebellious or you know you're your alternative and it's it's not right. So I think just telling everyone that it's okay to not be okay with what's happening at the moment and it's okay to demand that change and to question those who are continuing that system.
0: Yeah, I think that's really true because it is, I mean as someone that is working with folk in the mainstream with people setting up alternatives as a parent whose children are not in school but with family members who are teachers you know i feel like i'm really bridging a lot of that space and it is really important to me and at phoenix for example we're really committed to supporting the innovation and the examples of practice that are um, more where we want the system to move whilst at the same time wanting to connect with folk in the mainstream system to do what we can to to um, create movement there and opportunities for challenge and questioning and that combination is just so important and I really really do feel strongly like in agreement with you Ava and also to me and you know what's just been shared here about the need for those people to find each other and to be co-supportive and I think a shared experience of all of them oftentimes is shame or being shamed for either saying something that they don't agree with what's happening or that they can't cope with what is happening and that like Simi you were saying that that group can't, can quite easily be ostracized or just put down to being like the difficult ones or the oddballs or you know the rule breakers or whatever it is but like somehow as a collective we need to push through that that um, labelling into a state of real confidence in what we're doing because like you know we're not wrong (laughs) right there is a massive problem and a lot of people are aware of it but many people are fearful around speaking out really confidently about it and actually being direct about it but the more that we can do that together and individually I think it is the right thing to help things move forward for everyone's benefit overall in the end. Um, Amira did you want to add anything to this part?
1: No? Okay. Fran? Yeah, I, I just wanted to say that the other potential way to effect change in, in such a rigid system is from business. Because business, and this is another question in the forum on School Differently, is business has been saying for a long time that we're not producing the employees of the future. When you think about what the future is going to look like in sort of 2025, 2030. And we also have business leaders who are crippled by their experiences, adverse childhood experiences, some, some of which are to do with school. So, uh, And the other thing that business say, say oh, we need skills. You know, I don't, I don't need to know that someone's got a 2-1 in art history. I need to know what skills they can bring. Um, so if that drive came from business in the economic financial world, that would put a lot of pressure on the government to actually look at doing things differently.
0: Thank you. And business pressure, but also like personal pressure, right, around how we want to live our lives, how we want to be in the world, the relationships we want to have, the relationship we want to have with ourselves and others. Like this all is part of that question too, you know, and I want to balance out the economic argument with just actually like the humanity aspect of this and, you know, tie it back in again just to the fact that um, this is a human rights issue. You know, the, the problem that we're talking about here is about human rights, like young people have a right to a voice. They have a right to be protected from harm. The problems in school do come down to human rights problems um, and I think that is a strong argument like for change that actually like at the moment the system isn't congruent with human rights and you know we need to <laughs> address that. Um, I also want to thank everyone that's here on the panel for what you've shared During the event and the experience that you've brought here, I think this would not have been the conversation that it has if it wasn't for the different experiences, stories, and backgrounds of everyone that's here. Folk that are here, if you want to put your cameras on, please do feel free. We would love to see you at the end. Um, And thank you. Sorry that we didn't get through more questions, um, but I think that everyone will agree that what we did cover was really super useful and inspiring too. Um, So thank you for coming. Thank you to the panellists. If you've got any links about the campaigns you're currently working on, Fran, I hope you're going to post about school differently. Please drop links into the comments <laughs> if you've got Twitter handles or any other social media that you want to share so that people can connect. Like, go ahead and put it in to the chat. And just thank you again for sharing, for sharing your experiences to the panellists. And I just wanted to say as well, like, none of us are in a great situation. I think all of us are trying to make the best of the situation we have and find our way through it the best we can from where we're at. And I just wanted to wish everyone the best in doing that and look forward to like being together and connecting again to create change together on this issue. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Sophie.